Welcome to the Wellspring, where the grace of God is bubbling up for you and for all people wherever you are. The Wellspring Podcast is a digital ministry of Muhlenberg Lutheran Church, coming to you from the friendly city of Harrisonburg, Virginia, where we pray that this time together may truly be a wellspring of God's grace for all people who listen, equipping you with new ways to live out Christ's love. Welcome to the Wellspring. It's a place for grace and faith and life and you. Hello there. I'm Pastor Alex Zuber. I use he, him pronouns, and I serve as the associate pastor of Muhlenberg Lutheran Church, overseeing youth, campus, and young adult ministry. And I'm Pastor Micah Cray. I am the assistant to the Bishop for Generosity in the Delaware, Maryland Synod, and I also serve as the pastor of Faith Lutheran Church in Cockeysville, about 20 minutes north of Baltimore City. It's so good for us to be together. This is episode number four, titled Inside Out, discussing chapters five and six of the book Trauma Stewardship, An Everyday Guide to Caring for Self While Caring for Others, by Laura Vandernoot Lipsky. Our guest host is Pastor Micah Cray, who brings his pastoral experience, as well as his personal experience of addiction recovery, to a conversation about creating change from the inside out. This focus on the work of self particularly for those who do work in helping others, may tend to feel selfish. But this is not selfish or really self-help. It's about working on transformation from the inside out, finding an authentic connection to both the reality of joy and pain in our world in a healthier way. Pastor Micah reminds us of the importance of embracing our feelings of compassion for the world and for ourselves before over-intellectualizing our problems. Paired with a conversation on John 3 and Nicodemus's visit to Jesus in the night, we'll see the ways that this type of work on self is its own form of being born anew. And seeking an inside-out way to eternal life, we'll find the promise of a gift that is already within us. Well, again, welcome back to The Wellspring. I am so excited to be here Uh not only with a tremendous colleague, but a wonderful friend. Uh, Pastor Micah Cray is joining us as our guest host today. And I, I realized in recording some of these other episodes, I have been getting further and further away from my office with the guest host that we've had. Because uh, first episode was me, and then it was our children's minister, Ashley Saunders, who's a door down from me. And then it was Christy Trumbo, who's a member of the congregation, but lives in the Harrisonburg area. Uh, and now we have crossed state lines. This is an interstate podcast. Um, and, and Micah is here uh, today, a pastor in, uh, in Maryland, as well as serving as an assistant to the bishop uh, within the Delaware, Maryland Synod. Uh, a dear friend from seminary, um, the man who married me. Oh, can, I, <laughs> can I say that? That's, I mean, it's true. That's um, what we say, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so um, just I'm really delighted to have you, not only for your uh, for your perspective as a pastor, but also for the, uh, the personal perspective you bring to this conversation today, where we're taking a look at part three, creating change from the inside out, uh, mm-hmm. part of trauma stewardship, everyday guide to caring for self while caring for others. So um, Micah, welcome. Really glad to have you uh, as our guest host for the day. It's great to be here. And I'm really grateful for this conversation. I am too. It's a reunion of sorts, uh, a little, mm-hmm. uh, a, a little cooperation. We we began this journey of podcasting in seminary, uh, circa 2015. I think we were 
uh, recording episodes of our own podcast. And yeah. so now it's uh, it's cool to bring that journey full circle here to uh, uh, to to be a, a part of the wellspring um, and to to hear the story as we get into this really important part of the book. Uh, we were talking about this a little before we started recording, but last week's episode was uh, a doozy. I mean, that, it's a it was a long episode um, as we talk about this book. Um, I was so grateful for uh, for Christie's perspective as a licensed past, uh, professional counselor to talk through the 16 warning signs of uh, trauma exposure response. Uh, and I like to say that was really the meat of this book. But what we're going to talk today feels so much more like the spirit of this book, mm-hmm. um, creating change from the inside out. Um, and so not only did I want to bring you here as a uh, as a friend and a colleague who understands pastoral ministry and someone who works with folks uh, in creating this kind of change from the inside out, but I also know that you bring um, a incredible perspective as someone who is in recovery. And so... Um, and has done that kind of work of change from the inside out. So that's your story to tell, and I want to invite you to uh, to share uh, some of uh, of your story here as we uh, before we dive into this section of the book. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I am uh, in recovery from alcoholism. I've been in recovery for about uh, nine years now, a little over nine years. Um, and uh, for me, um, I think some people when they hear oh, somebody was in recovery, I must have had a very difficult and hard childhood that was uh, full of full of trauma. You know, we're talking about trauma today. Um, and in fact, I had a wonderful childhood. I had a wonderful family, great parents. Um, uh, but I have the seed of addiction in, in me. Um, uh, in, in, in the uh, world of recovery, we talk about having physical, mental, and spiritual addictions, and I have the—I have all three. Uh, I have the trifecta uh, within me, um, and so uh, I started. Uh, I was just kind of organically introduced to alcohol um, um, uh, over the course of uh, of my life, uh, but I really started drinking um, uh, towards the ages of fifteen and sixteen, um, and. The first time I had a drink where I actually became intoxicated, it was like fireworks went off in my soul. Um, And it was the greatest experience I had ever felt. Um, And for somebody who also has uh, depression and anxiety, um, what that feeling felt like to have the depression seemingly go away, the anxiety lessen to something that it was unrecognizable in me. Uh, it felt like the perfect, the perfect avenue for me to finally feel comfortable in my own skin. Um, and so ages of 15 and 16, I would drink every once in a while. Um, I didn't have a, a ton of access to alcohol at the time. By by the ages of 17, 18, 19, especially once I got to college, I was drinking almost every single day. Um, uh, and it progressed to the point where I was really uh, drinking towards blacking out almost every single day. Um, and for me, it was uh, it was it started out as the escape and then it just became the need. It became the norm. Um uh, even even when I was drinking, the depression didn't go away, and so I'd drink more, and to the point where I just kind of became numb. Um, and the the truth of the matter is, when you when you are drinking, when you are consuming so many substances, and for me, I ended up just doing more than just alcohol because 
you lower all of your inhibitions and you just start saying yes to things that people hand you. Uh, for me, that also led to consequences of, you know, just being kind of being a jerk. <laughs> um, you, you stop, you stop caring about what you, what you look like, what you feel like in public, um, and those types of things. And so it, you know, it hurt many of the relationships that I was in, many of the friendships that I was in. Um, and, uh, ultimately, um, you know, I, I, Went to college, graduated college, was spent a year as a traveling consultant in the fraternity, uh, which uh, was not great for somebody who uh, has uh, has an addiction to alcohol. Um, and somehow through it all heard a call to seminary. Um, and uh, even though I was still drinking, started going to seminary. And that's really when my drinking hit the the height of it all. Um, I was drinking every single day. Um, Alex, unfortunately, you had to witness some of that. Um, and uh, the real reason there, I think, is uh, I, I had to start confronting with the fact that I was living two different lives. There was this life of wanting to be better, wanting to be a pastor, wanting to, uh, wanting to care for others, but I couldn't get healthy enough to do it. And so I was in some ways just abusing myself because of the conflict that was within me. Um, ultimately to the point that I was, uh, I ended up getting hospitalized with pancreatitis. Um, my body was literally shutting down um, because of how much I was consuming. Um, and I spent about five days uh, in the hospital um, uh, sobering up, if you will, um, and allowing my body to heal somewhat. Uh, and amazingly, uh, something, something broke through during that time. Um, it was you, Alex, it was my parents. It was many of my friends and family. It was my pastors at the church where I was interning at the time. Um, it was the congregation that I was interning for at the time. Everybody rallied around me at just the right point. Um, uh, and for some reason it clicked and I was able to start the process of recovery. Um, it has been a long road from there, um, working through the 12 steps multiple times, um, which we'll talk about a little bit later today. Um, and, you know, really, really beginning a process of healing. Um, and that healing meant healing myself, but also healing the relationships that I had uh, been a part of breaking um, or been one of the instigators of breaking. Um, and, and kind of living, living a life that meant love of myself and love, love of the people around me and love of God. And, uh, it's, it's been a long journey and it's still going today, but happy yeah. to, happy to bring that into this space a little bit. Yeah. I mean, in, an incredibly painful thing to, to witness as a friend um, mm. and for, for loved ones, for all that were, that were around you, but also an incredibly beautiful thing to witness in the nine years, nine, nine years, uh, yeah, since nine, nine years in November. Yeah. Nine years. Okay. So I, you know, it, 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 this, in this past November, it was, it was nine yep. years. Yep. So yeah, I'm not, you know, and it's one of these like, um, I'd love to round up for you. I'd love to say, you know, let's go, I'm going to go see you come up on 10 years now, but yeah. it's, it's a day at a time yeah. and this is an everyday journey for you. And, and so, um, I appreciate so much that you are, you've, you, not that, that you've had this journey, but that mm -hmm. over these nine years, you have 
been transformed so much to the point of being able to just sit here casually on a podcast and tell that story, um, to be able to offer your heart vulnerably uh, from the pulpit, both of the congregation you serve now um, and from, I know I've seen uh, when you've preached with congregations that are um, centered around those who are in Mm -hmm. recovery uh, work and through the group spaces there. Um, and, And so your journey has been so important for me um, as a friend and as a pastor in being able to to deconstruct a lot of the stigma that I had around mm-hmm. what it meant to be um, in recovery, what it meant to be an alcoholic, um, because, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of baggage that comes with that, mm-hmm. that phrase. And as I've been able to walk with you and as I've been able to see others who are in this work of recovery... Mm-hmm. Um, I have such a better perspective on it now to say, wow, we've got a lot. Everyone has a lot to learn um, from those who have done this work of recovery because um, as we were, I was reflecting on this section of the book, this internal work mm-hmm. is something that you do every day. And that's why, again, I'm not, I'm not giving you credit for 10 years yet. Um, because I know that this internal work, this work of transforming yourself happens one day at a time and it's going to, it continues to to happen. We don't take a single day of that journey for granted. Um, not that I don't believe in you, that this number will become 10, that it will become 15, 40. Like Mm -hmm. those are the things I I believe and want for you as someone Mm -hmm. that I, that I love and care about. Um, but it's, it is a day at a time. It's not something that can be taken for granted. And so, uh, I really appreciate that you can bring, um, that, that strength and transformation that's developed over these nine years to a conversation around this and help, uh, to, to share and educate anybody who's listening to this podcast about where you've really found grace along the way, um, Mm -hmm. and how this, this work of, of transforming self is not selfish. Um, because I think this is going to be a section where, uh, it was a section of the book that I feel like a lot of people could easily struggle with, um, Mm -hmm. to either disregard or kind of roll right past it and, or, or say, I don't know, I've got, you know, I got my spiritual stuff taken care of. I go to church every Sunday. Um, I don't really need to to think about this this kind of work too much, um, yeah. but I I really appreciate you being here to to bring that perspective on um, on recovery and what that looks like and the powerful lessons that everyone can learn from the the kind of work that that you do in recovery communities. And so, yeah. um, you know, as we were talking about this, particularly part three, creating change from the inside out. Um, this is I think where we dabble into this starts to feel like a self help book. Um, and it's not, uh, not in, not in, in any way, um, is this a a self-help book? We've got two chapters in this section. Chapter five is talking about new ways to navigate. And chapter six is about coming into the present moment. Mm -hmm. Um, and so after a discussion last week where we talked about the 16 different horrible obstacles that are out here in the wilderness with us as we're navigating our trauma exposure response, Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really, um, I, I really appreciate this of saying, all right, we might feel like we're lost in the wilderness. This is the now what this is the, all right, I've stopped. I've got a little bit of better sense of where I am, um, yep. where I'm feeling lost, but what I, where I do know that I am is here with me and, yep. and I need to do this, uh, this internal work. 
Um, and, and I really appreciate that she, a couple things that, that I noticed in this section that I, um, that I really valued was uh, a reminder that she lifted up from the very beginning of the book um, that she reiterates here in chapter five, which is that you already possess all the tools you need for this journey. Yep. Um, yep. What you need in order to practice trauma stewardship is knowledge of our own lives. Mm-hmm. You know yep. your story, uh, you know, and, and as you were going through uh, these early days of recovery, whether or not you were willing to admit those those elements of your story, you knew your story. And, and now with perspective, you know, you're able to hold that. And so for anyone who's dealing with uh, with trauma, you've got what you need to be yep. able to do this. You are equipped uh, for the journey. And she really lifts up the uh, the essence of this approach is to cultivate a quality of being present both to the events of our lives and for others and our planets. And so um, I know that it can be easy for, for those that are reading this from a Christian perspective to kind of gloss over this section because uh, she leans a lot into Eastern wisdom and uh, Buddhism and Taoism and some of her own uh, spiritual practices that are a part of this. Um, but this is, I mean, from reading this from a, from a, in, a in the midst of a church podcast, uh, from a Christian yeah. perspective, uh, there's a lot of incarnational theology, being Absolutely. present, being grounded. Uh, our congregation is is using the narrative lectionary, and we're right in the uh, in the heart of Mark now. And so, as I'm reading this section and talking about coming into the present moment, um, I'm I'm thinking of the of Mark chapter one, uh, where you know, it begins very abruptly. We have John the Baptist. We have the baptism of Jesus. He's out in the wilderness, which is where we were last week. And then after that, it says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God, saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Hmm. And the ministry of John the Baptist, the ministry of Jesus, particularly here in the beginning, uh, feels so much like this wake-up call, this this be present, be here hmm. Uh, the kingdom of God isn't something that's, you know, way down the line, slog it through all this crap, and then you'll die one day and it'll all be okay because you'll be in the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, no, 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 here, now. Yep. John is saying, wake up, you brood of vipers. I'm mixing gospels, but Jesus, John <laughs> is saying, wake up, you brood of vipers. It's here. It's now. Repent. Yep. Live this life now. Um, and so there is a lot in the gospel of mm-hmm. cultivating that attentiveness and bringing ourselves into the present moment to be mindful of where we are. And so this really does feel um, like one that is um, that, that is about um, cultivating awareness. But, you know, I push, we push back on that idea of being a self-help book because I think, you know, talking about your story in the ways that it was so interrelated to the communities that are around you, something that we can very easily take for granted is that, we think that self-help, self-work, internal work is selfish, mm-hmm. when in reality, you are building up your communities. You are building up all of those that you continue to wish to serve by doing this kind of work here and yep. now. And yeah. so um, I'm, I'm curious, like, how, how did you interact with this, uh, this section, these kind of the new ways to navigate? Did, did this feel like it resonated with um, some of your experiences uh, as you as you were getting into it, absolutely, absolutely, and I think I think what's great about this section is it's is it's honest is it's honest about the complexity of it, and and, and in some ways it's complex, and in some ways it's very simple, right? It's complex for us because it, just as you're saying, we we describe it as self help, but by nature, 
me helping myself in the 12 step group is automatically in, in the world of community. <laughs> and yeah. they, and one of the, one of the uh, basic tenets of, of, of uh, the 12 steps is, is don't go it alone. Um, you're doing it in conversation with a, with a sponsor. You're doing it in conversation with your, your local meetings that you attend. Uh, some people, when they, um, when they begin their uh, recovery journey, they do it, the tradition is to do 90 and 90, 90 meetings in 90 days. That is 90 straight days of you being forced into community. And I use that language fairly explicitly yeah. forced into community because we have a, t- a tendency to withdraw into ourselves in an isolating factor to say, oh my goodness, now that I'm starting to recognize these patterns within myself, I'm so ashamed of myself or I'm so uh, guarded against exposing that even further that I want to withdraw into myself, exclude myself from the community because I either don't want the community, I don't want to hurt the community around me or I don't want the community to hurt me. Right. Um, But in the, in the recovery world, we immediately see, no, the time is now 90 and 90 go, go to these meetings, hear other people's stories too, and start to learn that you this is this is another part of recovery. We all think we're beyond help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we all think we're the special case. Nobody can solve my drinking problem because I'm too much of a lost cause. I'm too uh, I'm too bad. I have too many demons. I'm I'm the worst possible case. Nobody could be worse than me. Um, there's there's a lot of that in the recovery community. We all think we're the worst alcoholic, uh, but very quickly you learn. Oh. Yeah, we've we've all been here. <laughs> we've yeah. all been doing these things. We all we all have this story with um and and being in the community presence, um, we learned that our doing this self-work because it is our story, it is right. our work to do, and that's what we mean by self-help. Not that not that you are doing it alone, not that you are being selfish, not that you have to isolate in order to do the work, but that it is our work, my work to do, and nobody else is required or must do it for me. Right. That is what self-help means. Is yeah. that I am I am intentionally engaging in this work because I want to be better uh, for myself and for the community around me, for those who love me and for those who I love. Um and so what I think is is critically important about what you're reading here in Mark is, you know, the time, the time is near, um, and living in the present moment, we talk about one day at a time, every single day of our lives in the recovery community. I only have today, although I can look back at the past and remember what I've done. And I do need to take fearless moral inventory. I do need to look back at what I've done so that I can repair the relationships that I have harmed or cre- or, or created distance or created barriers or, uh, or, or destroyed bridges between. Um, I do have to look back in order to better understand who I am right here, right now. That being said, I only have today and I can only worry about today. I can only worry about being sober and healthy this day. I can't do anything to fix or correct the past other than making whatever amends are possible 
But ultimately, I only have today. And even though I can hope for the future, I can hope to get to 10 years sober. That is not a guarantee if I don't take care of myself today, if I don't do the work today uh, to keep myself healthy and safe and in good relationship with my supports and good relationship with my community and good relationship with God and, uh, and, and the world around me. I think that that um, yeah. can be such a, a difficult nuance to hold on to, in, in a, particularly in a conversation like this. If, if somebody's coming to this, this book, you know, the, if, if we're talking about the ways that we are exposed to the trauma of others, um, either through our, our work, through our vocation, or like kind of the premise that I've set up for this whole podcast is that we're all traumatized. And if we just want to be mm -hmm. compassionate people in the world today and we want to interact with others, we are going to be exposed to their trauma. Um, mm -hmm. There is this outward, externally motivated sense, I think, that that we're inherently bringing to this. I, I'm, I'm trying not to speak universally. I will go ahead and just like speak for me as an Enneagram 2 defined as a helper, like I am an externally motivated person and I struggle with these aspects of, of self. Do these yeah. things because I want to, because it's good for me? No, absolutely not. Do these things because it's good for my family, for my community, for that? Yeah, absolutely. It's a challenge to me then to say, no, no, no. I need to do this work for me. Yeah, That is important. I matter too. Uh, I need to be healthy and healed in the midst of this. And maybe I can hold on my little, my little Enneagram two can hold on to that aspect of it is inherently related to the community around us. And you mentioned this, this being in community 90. And I love that. There's like, not, I mean, yeah. I think that's an idea that would be a beautiful challenge for anybody to say, yeah. spend 90 consecutive days intentionally cultivating community, whether it's a small group, whether it's a group of friends, whether it's, you know, if it's if it's two or three other people that you're yeah. holding each other accountable to saying, I am hurting right now. We're all hurting. Let's hold, yeah. let's care for each other. Let's care for ourselves and care for each other in that. But I think it, that whole sense there is framed in this, in, in the way she defines this section by saying mm -hmm. creating change from the inside out. Mm -hmm. It's not saying creating change on the inside because you're such a morally depraved and wretched creature. Right. It's creating change from the inside out. Out these internal changes we make here are then going to be able to be reflected in our lives, in our communities, in our relationships, in um, in our vocations. All of these things. It is an inside-out change. You can hold on to that desire to be a compassionate person, to be a wellspring of grace in your community. You can hold on to those things, right? You 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 got to start from within, yeah. because if you're any moment you're feeling lost, that's all you've got that you're assured of is right there with you. Um, and, and she connects this a lot in the section to the, the Eastern thought around connecting with the spark of the divine, uh, the, a lot of the, uh, the, the wisdom of, of enlightenment and, and this, and, and I say, you know, this is connecting with the uh, Imago Dei. This is, this is connecting with the spirit that lives in you. This is connecting with the Christ who mm -hmm. is in you. We are Christians. We are little Christ. And, yeah. and sometimes I think it's a lot about getting out of, getting ourselves out of the way mm -hmm. to let Christ live through us and yeah. in us and with us. Um, and so yeah. there's a few phrases that you've used in there. I mean, I think, I hope anybody's taking notes on this. Jot down, uh, don't go it alone. 
that's good advice for anybody, uh, recovery or not. Um, 90 for 90. Um, But you mentioned this idea of a fearless moral inventory. Um, And we've spoken a little bit about that. And that that feels like a really... um, important sort of perspective on, uh, on on this internal internal to external work that we're talking about here in this section of the book. So can you tell us more about what a fearless moral inventory um, looks like and, and why that's been an important part of your recovery? Absolutely. Yeah. So it, for those who aren't uh, aware, that actually, that phrase is uh, in the 12 steps. It's step four of the 12 steps. And so if you haven't read all of the 12 steps, I encourage you to do so. But um, for the purposes of our conversation here um, and for the purposes and for the sake of time, uh, where I'm going to talk a little bit about this is just uh, steps four, five, six, and seven, and maybe a little bit into eight. Um, For the sake of time. (laughs) All of those, all of those are, all of those are interconnected. All of those steps are interconnected. You can't do, you can't do, just a few of them and forget the rest. That's, that's a huge portion of the 12 steps is you right. can only take it one step at a time. That's where the phrase comes from, right? You have to do it. You do them in order and every single one of them is helpful for the progression of, of the recovery journey. But the fearless moral inventory comes from step four, which uh, says made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. And, this is actually a fairly rigorous process that you can find in in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and it starts out actually in a in a in a different place than many of us would think. We would think it would start off with us immediately bashing ourselves. Saying like, oh, if we're taking a fearless moral inventory of ourselves, then we're gonna talk about all of the things that make us terrible people. Actually, that's not where we start. We start with our resentments from others. We take a look at what we are carrying that we are so mad about in the world. Mm-hmm. So for some of us, it's you know relationship with our parents. For some of us, it's relationship with our siblings. For some of us, it's a relationship with a significant other. For some of us, it's a relationship with this, that, and the other, right? Um, And the fearless moral inventory starts there because if we can't have compassion for those that we're holding resentments toward outward externally, we're never going to be able to have compassion for ourselves. And additionally, if we can't begin to see that there's nuance to other people's actions we're never going to be able to understand that there's nuance to our own, right? And so I want to try to keep this not getting too deep and too heavy. So I'm going to use, I'm going to use, I'm going to use a light resentment. You're going to be like, why on earth would somebody be resent that? Right. Um, But, but, but no joke. I wrote this in my, in my, uh, in my moral inventory um, when, when I was going through the steps with my sponsor I had a resentment, and if my dad listens to this, Dad, I love you. <laughs> this is not about this. I had a resentment about my dad uh, coming home from from work when I was a kid, and I would be sitting alone in the dark watching TV, and he would always immediately turn the lights on. I 
just wanted to sit alone in the dark in my depression. <laughs> and my dad turned on the lights without asking me if he could, if I wanted light. He would just come into the family room away from work. I'm sitting there. It's like 6.30 p.m. in December. Uh, and I'm a and I'm an eighth grader just brooding in my angsty, angsty way. And he would just turn it on without asking me if it was okay. I carried that resentment because I I I was only thinking about myself, right? Like I was only thinking about my actions, my wants, my needs, my desires. Why on earth would my dad turn these lights on without asking me? Well, pause. Write that. Write that out, and for a moment, look at it with compassion to say, why would a father who's coming home to his son sitting in the dark, who's watching TV, and his son looks sad, turn on the light? Does that completely flip it, right? Like, and, and, and if you and, and think about, it, like, it, it, that's, that's an easier one to see, like, oh, my goodness, the, the intentions of the person who, 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 made, who had this action was not was not as bad as it might seem, right? Mm. But additionally, if you then take it to some heavier topics, can we see how that person may have been in pain themselves? Can we see how mm. they lived a childhood uh, in which they experienced trauma, right? Some of their actions are not because they are just a terrible person. Sometimes it's because they too experienced some things that that they struggled with. Um, and a lot of, a lot of that comes from, I, I just happen to be a family where, um, you know, uh, alcoholism skips generations sometimes. So n- nobody else in my immediate family has, um, shown signs of, of alcoholism as well. And so I didn't grow up with it immediately around me. Um, but for some folks, it doesn't skip a generation. And so they have to recognize I'm so mad at my parents for being alcoholics but I can't show them the same compassion that I'm about to try to show myself. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, it, it becomes this, it becomes this nuance so that we can begin this process of compassion, not necessarily forgiveness, not necessarily just rectifying and forgetting. Right. Sometimes it's just about starting with a little bit of compassion for others so that we can start looking at some compassion for ourselves. Hmm. That that reminds me uh, a lot of uh, Luther's explanation of the Eighth Commandment. He talks mm-hmm. about, because um, in the small catechism, when Luther talks about the commandments, he often uh, doesn't just leave it at face value for what it says, um, you yeah. know, give us our daily bread. He's like, no, this is about, you know, good governance, and this is about uh, a roof over our heads. This is about a provision of all these things. When he talks about the Eighth Commandment and not bearing false witness, yeah. he, he invites us into a little bit of, of that work to say, let's consider what is the most gracious possible assumption we can make of our neighbor. Let us, let us look through at their actions in the most gracious light uh, and understand why they did something before maybe rightly condemning or correcting or rebuking their action, because we might find no good moral basis for that. But why would a dad come in and turn on a light? Right. I mean, there might be a darn good reason for that. And yeah, it annoyed you. When you just yeah. want to wallow, yeah. um, but then I think you know I, I think of those that are experiencing the the trauma of others. I, I talk with a lot of pastors about um, you know the, the dynamics that they've experienced within their communities about people that are you know just less patient, less uh, 
you know, people are, are less prone to uh, to listen and to dialogue and to, and to hold tension in community. It's, it's like, if I can't have it my way, I'm out. Um, and think, why? Right. Why? Are they hurting? Right. Maybe they're yeah. hurting. And yeah. are you hurting? Because maybe then we can bring that kind of perspective to this. I, I think yeah. that is a... It's a beautiful place to start because, yes, I, I mean, when you talk about forest, fearless moral inventory, my first thought when I'm reading this and, and just look, yeah. reading through the list of the 12 steps that I've got here, I'm like, that looks like starting like, I suck point A, yep. I suck point B. But I really yep. do like that we, we frame it in that relationship with others because that ultimately seems to be the hope of this is that we are restoring ourselves to yep. um community or not necessarily restoring ourselves, but we are being restored. We are being transformed um, as we yeah. have, you know, surrendered to the, to the higher power um, right. that, that the, uh, as, as we see in step two of this process, as we, you know, see in the uh, coming of the kingdom of God and the gospels. And, um, yeah. and, and so I, I appreciate that, that perspective of saying, let's not start with wretched sinner. Woe is yeah. me. Mea yeah. culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. Like, yeah. let's, let's start with, what irks you and right. then why? Yeah. And it, and it's, it really is, it's a powerful moment because the, there's always this, there's always going to be this question and you alluded to it yourself, right? Like uh, in, in terms of, you know, being an Enneagram too. Yeah. I want to better myself for others, but that it, it's, it's the next step then that you immediately have to start questioning. But Am I going to start showing compassion for myself? Am I going to start bettering myself for myself, right? So the next step is admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. And what so many, I mean, there there are occasionally the folks that can, just cannot, cannot get there mm-hmm. in the first, in the first uh in both in in both ways. They cannot get to actually admitting their wrongs because they just can't, they can't go to that place yet um, because it's just too painful to admit that they did something truly, truly wrong. Um, but there's also the folks that can't go there because they can't even begin to fathom forgiving themselves. They can't even begin to fathom showing compassion um, to themselves. Um, and so the question that so many sponsors will actually ask is, so why can you show compassion to your parents who were alcoholics, but you can't show that same compassion to yourself, right? Why, why can you begin the process of forgiveness for someone else, but you can't see that your addiction played a hand in the actions that you committed elsewhere that doesn't forgive or excuse your actions. Right. But can you see that your addiction played a hand in this just like it does for other folks, right? Um, and the, this step six is the hardest for so many for mm-hmm. a whole host of other reasons. We are entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. A lot of people hate that phrase, defects of character. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and all that really means is we have more than one problem. We are not just addicts. Mm. Sometimes we're selfish. Sometimes we're angry. Sometimes we are 
sometimes we this, that, and the other, right? There are so many things you could you could play so many. These this is the list that we wanted to start with, right? This is the list of like, oh yeah, I just stink. I'm a terrible person. Uh, I I stole something here. I did this that right. Like I have so many de- I have so many defects of character. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm unforgivable, right? But we go through these two steps beforehand to get to the process of all of a sudden realizing realizing. Yes, and you're not just an addict. You do have these other pieces in you that resemble and maybe amplify or are a part of our addiction, but those are within us too, and it's not just addiction. So just getting rid of the drinking doesn't solve everything else that is going on within us too. We have to fearlessly look at those things too. Do we have selfish do we have selfish ambitions even when we're sober for six months? Do we have, uh, are we still trying to isolate and be a, away from community even though we've been sober for a few days, right? It's important for us to recognize there, there are additional, uh, additional things within us that we have to work through to better understand. And that's where I think this is really applicable for people that aren't in recovery, that don't have addiction, because they say like, well... You know, Micah, you're just talking about people who have addiction. Like, I, I can't get rid of the like. I I I could stop drinking, and that's not going to impact me on a day to day life. Well, this is where the defects of character come in, because mm-hmm. I would say all of us have defects of character, and it's I'm not trying to sit here and say you are a terrible person. No, we just right. have things that get in the way of us caring for ourselves and caring for others. Um, well, I, I think that, yeah. you know, when, framing this from the, that aspect of, of trauma, uh, when we, when we are, uh, experiencing the trauma exposure response for ourselves, um, like, like alcohol, that trauma is something that is in amplifying these effects within us. When we talk about the, the 16 signs of trauma exposure response, um, you know, I've been, you know, if I've been feeling anger and cynicism, uh, it just exploding out of me, that might be something that was already on the list of character defects of something that, you know, I've had a pretty good rap on, on my anger and cynicism. Uh, you know, I make a snarky joke every now and then, but I, you know, when I'm at my best, when I'm feeling healthy, when I'm, when I'm feeling like I've got good perspective on things, I'm not leaning into that. I'm not leading with that, but now I've been leading with it more and more. Yeah. Well, yeah, because yeah. in a way you're addicted to the trauma that you're experiencing. It's, yep. I mean, um, and not to say that you're doing this to yourself, but like you've, you, you this is now beyond your control and it's yeah. amplifying these other, these other things, which can go the other direction, you know, with the things like hypervigilance um, and, uh, and the, you know, and some of these other ways that, um, that people can uh, can go the grandiosity and the the inflated mm-hmm. sense of self um, that can go in with this feeling helpless and hopeless. You know, if I'm acting out of my trauma, maybe I have felt that inherent lack of self worth all along. But I I work on that and I try to manage it. But now with this with this trauma layered in there, that is amplifying this other thing that would be on my list, and I'm just not yeah. as capable of. Of responding to it and the way that I wish I could uh, and the way that I want to be able to lay it down because, you know, being able to 
to let go of that thing. We talk a lot, you know, confession. We talk a lot about this, this aspect of laying our burdens down at the foot of the cross. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I have conversations with folks a lot that it's like, yeah, all right, I'm laying it down. Mm-hmm. Stop picking it up. <laughs> like, I see, yeah. I, I see you. You're sneaking yeah. that back into your bag. You're trying to carry it with you. I, I said, leave it. Yeah. Leave it. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think, I mean, I can understand when you say like, a lot of folks really struggle with getting to that step, struggle with the language. We don't necessarily want to um, look at these things as defects of character um, mm-hmm. because that's going to make us feel wretched, yeah. but it's, it, it, it's really easy to try to pick those things back, back yeah. up. And I mean, yeah. that is the, I mean, uh, relating to that fearless aspect yeah. of this moral inventory don't be afraid to let go of these things. Other people might still hold yeah. them up to you. Like, yeah, you jerk, yeah. and I haven't been going through this process, and I present you for that. Yeah, That's fine. I accept that. Yeah. I can accept the uh, consequences of my, of my actions in the past. I can't change what happened, but I can change what yeah. happens now. And yeah. I'm, I'm going to continue to do this, uh, to do this work of, of restoration. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. And I think that's exactly it. You are going through these portions of the steps because ultimately where we're going is we're we're going to make amends. We're going to make amends for the things that we've done in the past. So the fearless moral inventory does, in fact, start to look at some of the explicit actions that we have done in our past. Um, but unless we can begin to show compassion for others and show compassion for ourselves, the first time we go out there and we start talking to somebody, hey, I'm here to make amends for this really terrible thing that I did to you. Can you forgive me? And they're being like, no, because you also did this and this and this and this and this and this and this. We're going to immediately reject it. Being like, no, 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 no. How dare you say I'm worse than I did? I did a fearless moral inventory. I know what I've done wrong. No, we have to start showing compassion for others so that we can then show compassion for ourselves to recognize, you know what? I don't even know all of what I did. Literally, for me, this has been a pain. This has been a painful thing that I've been working uh, with over the last few years. I mean, there are literally weeks of my life that I do not remember. And I, if somebody came to me and said, "Micah, you harmed me here," there's nothing I could do to say, I didn't do that or anything like that. I would just have to humbly say, I have had to go through the steps again to be like, there are aspects of my life I literally do not remember. How do I show compassion for myself to know I have no way, no way of even knowing I have to make amends, but still keep myself open for the possibility that someone will come up to me and say, I need you to make amends for this moment and having compassion for them, for myself and own openness to recognizing there's, there's possibility of making something as right as I can by me being able and open to hearing this. Um, And it's, it's, it's a again it's all nuance it's all nuance it's all being compassionate it's leading with compassion but if we don't go through these earlier steps learning that compassion for others and that compassion for ourselves we'll never be ready to actually be uh 
be in front of others and asking them, there is a portion of making amends where we actually ask the person at the end, are there any other ways that I have harmed you? And we leave ourselves open for them to just say anything. And we are not, and, and we are coached. We are coached by our sponsor. You are not allowed to defend yourself afterwards. You have to just receive it. You have to just receive it. And I think that that openness there really reflects one of the the themes that um, we talked about pretty extensively in the second episode of the uh, of this podcast. We're talking about section one uh, of this book where she's getting into what is trauma stewardship. She said at, at, at its foundation, it is about recognizing that both pain and joy mm-hmm. are a part of life. And being very realistic about the dual nature of pain and joy. Because when you open yourself up to that kind of, um, well, here's the the week you don't remember. And here's the Mm -hmm. hundred different ways that you hurt me. That is opening yourself up to the very, very real, very personal, very intimate nature of pain. Mm -hmm. And potentially opening yourself up to more pain. Yeah. Yep. But also, leaving yourself open like that allows you to find healing. Mm-hmm. And allows you to find hope and allows you to yeah. find life. And, you know, as I'm looking through this section and she's talking about being present and being open and, and leaning into some of the language of the Eastern traditions, I'm, I'm thinking, like, who within the Christian tradition has spoken about this? The one that I that I came to um, to first was Henry Nouwen and his his uh, incredible book, uh, The Wounded Healer. That could be, I mean, we, we could have just done the book study on that one, too. Highly, mm-hmm. highly recommend that if you're trying to create a book list off of this um Podcast Henry Nowen's The Wounded Healer. There's a line in there that I love where he says, and, and, and um, if we'll excuse our friend Henry here, this is the language of his time. Um, mm-hmm. This is very uh, male leaning language, but I think when he says man, he's leaning into humankind. Um, mm-hmm. He says, The man who articulates the movements of his inner life, who can give names to his varied experiences, need no longer be a victim of himself but is able slowly and consistently to remove the obstacles that prevent the spirit from entering. He is able to create a space for him, him capitalized, being Jesus here, create space for him whose heart is greater than his, whose eyes see more than his, whose hand can heal more than his. I love that because that is the that's the grace here because I, I mean anybody hearing about this for this this fearless moral inventory this opening yourself up to being able to to right these wrongs and not defend yourself is like this sucks this sounds yeah. why is this the advice we're going to um I don't I don't like the sound of that at all yeah there is the the dual nature of that is that you know you open yourself up to that person who you who you've harmed and you're uh you're expressing to them the exact nature of your of your wrongs and you're willing to make amends they might forgive you yeah and what a profound gift of grace that is they might not yeah um and and even if they don't you've left mm-hmm. the space there for this god who is bringing healing who is removing these defects of character who is removing shortcomings who is aware of the exact nature of our wrongs this this God is present with you. This God is there, and you're allowing Christ to enter that space and live through you, um, yeah. in some in in a way that does bring new life. Because and and, and I I mean that so literally. 
yeah. having walked through the, these these nine years with you, mm-hmm. it's new life. It's nothing short of that. You are yeah. an entirely new person from from who you were when I first met you. And yeah. and I've seen the the fruits of this in this kind of internal work. Um, I relate this a lot to some of the parables that we've heard in worship, or, or uh, a lot of the early parables that Jesus is lifting up in Mark. I have a lot to do with just getting out of your own ding dang way. Mm-hmm. Open up, get out yeah. of your way, and let the kingdom in. Let forgiveness yeah. in. Let pain in. Yeah. I mean, these are the these are the the very real factors of life. Um, and it, and it does require, require this, this fearlessness, um, to do this inside out work, uh, to heal these relationships. And, and so I, I, I really appreciate this perspective that you have on, um, on what that kind of work has looked like for you in recovery and the way that this relates to anyone who, uh, it, you know, one of the, we, when we talk about defining trauma exposure response, one of the, the phrases that gets tossed around is uh, compassion fatigue. Yep. And we, we grow weary in, in compassion. And, and Paul writes, let us not grow weary in doing what is right. right. And, and this, is, this is what is right, this openness um, to the truth of others, to the presence of God, to yeah. ourselves, yeah. is grace. It's, yeah. it's grace. It's nothing short of that. Well, and, and, and just want to wanting to lift up the book a, l- a little bit here. Um, I might have to find the page, but it's, um, she ends up saying, if I can find it quickly, uh, it's, yeah, it's the hyper-intellectualism of, mm-hmm. of a lot of this, right? Is when we talk about compassion fatigue, so much of it is we allow ourselves to stop feeling it for ourselves, right? We, we, and we, we, we make it a, we make it an intellectual exercise, right? The fearless moral inventory is not an intellectual exercise. It is writing out very real experiences of our life and, and feeling all of it. And it's hard. It is hard and challenging work. And honestly, the reason why uh, I have now been through the steps a few different times in my nine years. It's not a just one and done, but I actually return to the steps on more than one occasion and, and work through them uh, with, with, uh, with a sponsor or with someone else in recovery is because we can't actually address all of it in one sitting. We would love to. We would love to make an exhaustive list, but we learn and we grow over time. We learn some of the, even the greater nuances of, of, of some of the pain that we hadn't realized before. And, and, we, um, and we learn uh, even, even greater uh, how to be more compassionate for others and even more compassionate for ourselves. But all of that requires feeling it. All of that requires being in the moment within ourselves and within our feelings. Um, but there's such a tendency for us to intellectualize it, to, to make it an intellectual exercise of like, well, if I just write it out, it's done. No, the purpose that we do it in with a sponsor is we have to then talk about it, talk about it with somebody who's going to be like, yeah, and how does that feel? You know, it's, it is, it is the, the very therapy answer, right? It's the, well, how does that make you feel? 
Right. And we joke about that being like, oh, that's such a that's such a simple question, therapist. Thanks for asking that. I could have asked myself that. Well, why didn't you? Because feeling is the hardest part of it. Yeah. Um, as an Enneagram five, this is it's very funny for me to be the one talking about this. Um, because as an Enneagram five, I as an Enneagram five, I'm the one who's running from feelings and moving towards thinking at all cost. Uh, but for me, it's, it's so important. It is so important for me to check in on my feelings every single day. It's so important for me to stay grounded in, in where I'm feeling things. Um, because if I don't, there is a very distinct possibility that I'm going to lose touch with the critical factors of this work, which is that it centers around compassion. It centers around compassion for others and compassion for myself. And the minute I start losing compassion, the resentments start trickling back in. The anger starts trickling back in. All of those 16 things, right? All of those 16 things can so easily snap at the cynicism, the anger. I mean, I, I don't know if you remember me. I was so angry all the time. And it took a long time to work that out of my system, even if I, even when I was uh, sober for the first year. I mean, it took a long time for those things to finally, finally ease out of my life. But it is so easy when I lose touch with my compassion to move right back into those. Those are easily remembered muscle memories. Yeah. These trauma responses do not go away easily. And they very, very quickly snap right back into us if we start losing that compassion for others and our compassion for ourselves. I appreciate that. I mean, that's and I think that is the the important thing here uh, to to lift up. Love this book, but it's not a it's not a one and done. It's not yep. a uh, it's not going to come in a day. Uh, yep. I appreciate that you lift up that you you've gone through the steps multiple times. That's, I mean, that, mm-hmm. that, even as I'm hearing you say that, I think we've talked about it, but I'm, 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 I guess that's getting through, uh, preconceived notions in my mind of what recovery mm-hmm. looks like. Cause I'm like, wait, yeah. it's just 12 steps. When you've right. done that, why do you keep going back to meetings? Community is great. That's great. Uh, it's good for you. I'm like, no, no, no. You, you learn new information and it brings you back uh, to a different step and it brings you yep. back to a process of needing to do this again um yep. in this in this work again not a self-help book um it is a it is a embodied self and community help yep. book um absolutely and and i think at its foundation it's not a selfish book because it recognizes that this doesn't happen in a day this is yep. a journey this is one that we're going to be entering into again and again i i shared in the very first episode my my journey of recognizing a need to take uh, medical leave um, and take time to focus on my physical and mental health. And I remember getting back to work and getting uh, over the summer and then getting into about uh, November and being so mad. I'm like, I'm feeling burnout again. Mm. I thought I fixed this. I took a few weeks off. Why is this all still happening? Well, you started doing the same crap you were doing before. You didn't take care of yourself. You, you overworked, you, um, you had an inflated sense of your, uh, of your own self, uh, self-worth and, and, and your, your grandiosity that came with your work. Like, you started doing some of those things again. Back up. Slow yep. down. Yep. You're not going to get it perfect every time. And there's going to be different traumas. There's going to be new things. There's going to be different things that bring you out of yourself. Um, 
Yep. And I, I think about you know different elements. We, we've talked about Enneagram. There's Myers Briggs. There's there's other things that are more clinical. There's different ways of of understanding self. And there, I think there are. I appreciate that you have lifted up lifted up feelings because I'm an mm-hmm. ENF. J on, on Myers-Briggs, like I'm a big feeler. I I am a big emotions guy. Um, and there are other people in my life like you, uh, and, and, and my, and some of my family and my wife who are thinkers. I mean, they, they're Mm -hmm. like, when you get, get your emotions out of the way. Like, this is really easy to think about. Um, and, 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 so people aren't so one-dimensional. I'm not saying, Hey, the right way to do life here is to just be emotion led, feel first. Yeah. No, we, 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 need, we need people who are thinkers. We need to think through our actions. But we also mm-hmm. need to recognize that, uh, particularly if we're not inclined towards thinking, um, or if we're, if we're more inclined towards, uh, towards feeling, we might need to think more. If we're more inclined towards the thinking, we might need to feel more. Um, yeah. And we need the, that, that balance and that perspective of others to say, when we're talking about trauma response, when we're talking about addiction, when we're talking about uh, recovery, this is really going to be getting into some of the emotional centers of who we are. And in yeah. this time in life, you need some, you need feelers around you. You need people who can call you back into your emotional and your compassionate connection with mm-hmm. yourself and with mm-hmm. others, because I'm afraid that you might be losing that in the midst yeah. of, of all of this. And I want you to help. I want to help you find it again. Absolutely. And so, you know, with this whole conversation, I think that this is a, a beautiful bridge here when you've lifted up. I appreciate you lifting up the hyper intellectualism um, aspect here, because that was a big part of why uh, I wanted to choose our Bible study lesson for the day for this whole section being mm-hmm. from John chapter three, where we uh, meet the Pharisee Nicodemus, who really wants to turn discipleship into a hyper intellectual exercise. And Jesus says, get over yourself. Yeah. Um and so I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. This is uh, the third chapter of the Gospel, the, the Gospel of John, the Gospel <laughs> of John. I'm not going to go back and edit that. Nope. You could. I'm human. <laughs> now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. There's a good case to be made for continuing to, to read there, but I, I want to stick with the, uh, 
the hyper intellectualism of, of Nicodemus. I mean, that's yeah. exactly what he tries to do here. Because yeah. uh, you know, you can uh, this phrase is a little footnote uh, in in. Uh, in, in my Bible, where it says from being born uh, from above uh, could also be translated or born anew. This mm-hmm. that concept of being born again is here. And Nicodemus says, uh, already been born, already getting a little uh, gray in the beard here. Uh, how can I enter the womb a second time and be born? And she's like, get out of your own head, man. Come on. Yep. We're talking about heavenly things. We're talking about spiritual things. Are you a teacher of Israel? You really don't get this. Yeah. Yeah. Like, listen, feel, mm-hmm. feel the life that is around you. Yeah. We are testifying to what we have seen. Yeah. We've seen this. Yeah. I think, I think what's so powerful about, about this, about this section. So if, for, for those who don't know, um, Nicodemus is one of the great characters in the Gospel of John because we don't actually get Nicodemus just this once and then he's gone yeah. forever, right? So so the, the beautiful portion of this is that Nicodemus doesn't get it and then immediately become a disciple. He also doesn't, he's not like the, um, although we don't know what happens to the rich young prince in Luke or the, you know, the rich young ruler, Um uh, in Matthew uh, is we don't we don't know exactly what happens, but Nicodemus also doesn't just go away disgruntled and not come back. Nicodemus right. comes back two more times. One to uh, in in a later uh, portion of John to defend that Jesus should be allowed to continue to speak. Uh, so when the when the other religious leaders are debating whether or not they should just go ahead and arrest Jesus on the spot, Nicodemus stands up and says, "Should." Should we not allow him to continue to speak? Maybe it's a really beautiful moment of somebody yeah. who's just saying, like, what if we just continue to listen? Um, but then at the very, very end, Nicodemus comes back again and he's actually uh, helps Joseph of Arimathea with the body of Jesus um, after the crucifixion. Um, and that's kind of this really, really holistic moment where we kind of there's kind of this illusion that, you know, even though the other disciples ran away, right? Peter denies Jesus three times. Some of the other disciples run away completely. Nicodemus is the one who stays with the body and wants to ensure that this teacher, rabbi, this teacher is, is cared for because he, he, he spoke truth. Right. Um, So I say all of that to say like, this is a, this is, a beautiful, beautiful illustration for what we're talking about today, that this is not a one and done thing. Nicodemus is a perfect example of even discipleship, you know, in the, in the Christian faith is not a one and done thing. You don't become a disciple and then you're a disciple of Jesus and everything is fine. Nothing else you do matters. Um, But it's a process. But the gospel of Mark says, it says and immediately forty two times. Are we doing <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm very I'm in Mark right now. John that's is right, like right. so painfully slow for uh-huh, me right yeah. now after I've been yeah. thinking about Mark. But that's right. Yeah, no, yeah. this is a journey. I mean, it's yep. both. I mean, there's there's sometimes yep. where these changes can happen and immediately they can happen very quickly. Um, you know, I just leave our nets, leave our boats, and we follow you. And then there's Nicodemus who needs some more time, and yep. he needs some time to get out of his own head. Yeah. about this and to wrestle with yeah. the implications of what Jesus is is saying here because he yeah. is bringing something about that it is nothing less than new life. Yep. And it's not necessarily something new to you. 
And yeah. just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, this is an allusion to the time when Israel was wandering in the wilderness and snakes are, are all about them. And so he casts a bronze serpent where we get our medical symbol for the bronze serpent on the pole. You look to it and you are healed. Um, all these people are being bitten by snakes. And he says, if you hold up the serpent in the wilderness, you look on it and you will be healed. Um, He's saying, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. I will be the serpent on the pole. I will be the one that's lifted up so that anyone who looks to me is healed, who will experience new life. They will be born again, anew, from above. Um, yep. Yep. And, and that isn't something you can intellectualize. That isn't necessarily, right. we, and we've tried. I mean, I, we've yeah. got a whole shelf of books behind me. You've got a whole shelf of books behind you. We've tried to think yeah. about it. We've yeah. intellectualized this. Yeah. Well, and it's you know it's been talked to, and we we try we try to discuss it. Can people change? Right, that's a big big mm. question that that is so so prevalent in the recovery community, but also people who have been hurt by people in the recovery community. Can people change? Nobody can change. We hear that a lot, right? Nobody can change. Everybody is it's the same. They're going to be the same person no matter what. I think in the recovery community, it's it's there's a tension there. We simultaneously do believe in this this kind of concept of like we are, in some ways, we're born again. Like we we have turned a page in our life, so to speak. We have we we are trying to be new, um, and yet we also remember that we are who we are and we are, we have the past that we have. Right. But, um, um, and so like, I think, I think the born again language is so beautiful here because it does illustrate the tension of this moment, but also the hope and promise of this moment too. Right. So for me, I never want to return to who I was. I never want to return to that, to that destructive force that I remember. Um, and similarly, I also have to look back when, with some compassion there and say, yes, but that is also still where I come from and who I was. And it informs who I can be now, right? I, that, that, if I actually forget and let go of it entirely, I, I don't remember the learnings that, I, that, I've, that I've gained along the way. So this, this being born again in some ways is this is this beautiful moment of being like you, you don't just forget what has been it informs you on who you are now and who you want to be for the future um and and i think that's that's probably partially what nicodemus is struggling so much with is but if i'm if i'm born again does that mean i'm somebody completely different right is does that mean that i it's it's almost it's almost a painful promise of like, but do I let go of being a teacher of Israel? Like, do I mm-hmm. do I let go of 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 some of the good things that have happened to me? And I think that's a, that's a tension that we don't often uh, uh, wrestle with enough in 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 uh, the recovery community. Is not everything that we had in our past was bad. Yeah, and that's that's wild, right? Like, because we look back on it so so often, and we're just like, oh, that was. That was back then. We were just terrible people back then. Now we live in now, you know, one day at a time. Today, um, not everything we had, I had. I had a great childhood. I yeah. had wonderful parents. I had wonderful siblings. I I grew up on an amazing seminary campus with great professors around me. I had an incredible childhood. Why would I just abandon all of that behind? 
And I don't think Jesus is telling us that we have to abandon all of it behind. But we do recognize that we are being born anew so that we can live into the hopeful promise of what is of what is to come right um and, and so we're informed by everything that has happened and yet can we recognize the promise of god the promise of 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 god that is that says you know and also there were things that you know we need to look we need to look to our savior on the cross we need to look at the serpent on the pole because there are things that that we want to do better with the world is not perfect the world is not jesus did not come and save the world and now everything is all 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 perfect <laughs> around us the the world is still broken around us and so we still need the savior uh who we look to up on the cross um and that all of that is informing is informing the next action, right? So, and I think in some ways that I think connects us it connects us to the baptism that we heard in Mark, <laughs> um, but also the the baptismal promises that we hear upon ourselves, right? It's Martin Luther saying, "Remember your baptism every single day. We die to sin and we ra- we're raised again to the new life, right?" Um, it is we, we have that same we have. We have that same new life in Christ each and every single day, one day at a time. We are born again every single time. We remember our baptism and we remember, hey, we have another chance. We have another chance today for me to be sober, to to be healthy, but also to 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 live into our call to discipleship, to care for this world with compassion and love in the same way that God has shown love for us. Um, I'll leave it there. I've been talking for a while. <laughs> no, I love that. And, 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 you know, maybe new life looks like, um, you know, for everyone, not allowing trauma to continue to add fuel to the fire of, of, of character defects. Um, yeah. Yeah. As hard as that language can be to, to hear and to embrace in ourselves, we can see the ways that, that trauma um, ramps up some of the worst parts of ourselves, uh, the parts that we try through reason and faith and, and care and attention to, uh, to reconcile and say, no, no uh, that might be an inclination of my nature, but I am not going to, I'm not going to lean into that. I'm not going to be uh, yeah. this, vindictive person. I get a little vindictive when I'm, uh, when I'm overwhelmed with, with trauma, I can be short, I can be hopeless, uh, I'm, but I'm not hopeless. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I am, I am leaning into this new life and, and it, and it really is nothing less than what was lifted up here. This, this, um, this, this phrase from scripture that we, that we all know um, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. The perishing is real. There are many ways that we are perishing day by day, and Mm -hmm. we are being born anew every day. We are experiencing eternal life here and now, not just someday, here and now. Um, And this is a, a rebirth that does not happen through entering a second time into the mother's womb and being born, but it's one that happens, I, I think, from heaven down. From inside out, and and that's the kind of work that we're talking about here. This internal work, the spirit of this book, is right here. Uh, the meat of it, 
is is recognizing how we can be lost in the wilderness. The spirit of it is 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 right here in recognizing the inside out work. Next two episodes are going to be about getting into the directions. Where do we go from here? Um, and 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 actually starting to walk that new path. But we can't take those steps until we've done this internal work. That, that aspect of living by our daily intention is what she lifts up in the end of this book. Um, and I think that is that is so important. You've got so many of these wonderful and uh, things that have been cultivated in you. This language of a community uh, that you can speak to and you can lift up and you can bring to this space um, for finding the intention by which you live each day. Um, that's going to be what, we're, what we work to do. But we we've got some steps to take. We've got our own steps. So I really thank you. Uh, appreciate you bringing that perspective uh, to this conversation, to this dialogue here with Nicodemus and the night. Um, I think we, I'm, I really, I have it. Every time I come to this third chapter of John, I just walk away with a deeper appreciation of it. And, uh, and, and here it's just a really beautiful new perspective on, on Nicodemus. So thank you Absolutely. for that. Let's wrap up today with just three take-home questions uh, for folks that they can uh, they can walk with this week and uh, as reflecting on this on this section um, the first is to, to we're gonna we're gonna take a page I think out of the out of the 12 step book uh, there's definitely steps before this and so maybe it, this isn't gonna be um, a perfect way of doing it but I, I'd like to invite people into that aspect of the of the, the fourth step taking a fearless moral inventory um, and say, take a fearless moral inventory. Yet, I'd love for us to begin with uh, Pastor Micah's encouragement here to uh, to begin with what resentments we're carrying uh, mm-hmm. from the world around us. What irks us about the world was the the phrase uh, there. Um, and, and so that is a that's thinking along the lines of of this recovery lens to the internal work here. Take a fearless moral inventory, beginning with what resentments we're carrying. I encourage you to do that with a conversation partner is mm-hmm. can be a helpful thing, but you can start with with self if that is a, an easier place to be. Relating to our uh, our biblical text for the day, I'm curious what things like Nicodemus are you overthinking in the night? Where are you hyper-intellectualizing your, your pain? Where are you turning this into a mental exercise where it could be a feeling one? Um, what things like Nicodemus are you overthinking in the night? And lastly, what are three ways you can practice compassion for yourself and for others this week? Thank you so much uh, for this for this time uh, of being together. I'd love to encourage uh, our listeners to discuss these questions with a conversation partner, whatever you're comfortable sharing. Uh, you're invited to share your reflections in the comment section of our Muhlenberg Lutheran Facebook page or our Instagram at Muhlenberg LC or on YouTube or wherever you find your podcast. Uh, we thank you for gathering with us today around the Wellspring and we're looking forward to another episode next week. You can learn more about our congregation online or by joining us for worship each Sunday at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time with the 11 a.m. service streamed live on Facebook and YouTube. Your financial support of the Ministry of Muhlenberg makes the many ministries of our community, including digital ones like this, possible for us. You can make your gifts online at www.muhlenberglutheran.org slash gift. I am Pastor Alex Zuber. Pastor Micah Cray. And I'm so glad that we could be together today. It's always a good time for a little cooperate. Nope, that's a, 
that's an, that's old podcast. Sorry, I'm jumping right back into the default there. Uh, for this time, I pray that God's grace has bubbled up to meet you wherever you are. Now, go in peace to live out Christ's love.